Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. What is up, everybody? This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another episode of the Bug Off Podcast with Land Grant. Holy Land. Today, we've got another loaded show for you. We're going to get into a ton of off-season camp stuff as the season gets closer. Uh, a lot of talk about the offensive line, a lot of talk about the linebacker position, a lot of talk about the running back room, kind of all over the place everywhere. There's competitions all over the place. We're here to talk about all of it. I'm here with Jordan Williams. I'm How good. you doing today, Jordan? I'm tired, honestly, especially with all this rain. I definitely took a, a really good nap right before this because the rain just put me out like it always does. But I'm excited. This is a really good show. Um, it's football. We're talking real football, so I'm always going to be excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. We don't have to just keep coming up with random stuff to talk about, kind of just throwing our opinion at it. Because obviously – when there's not real football to talk about, we can still get an hour and a half. So this is going to be the easiest hour and a half we've had since we started recording together. So I'm excited about that. Uh, for the audience, uh, this is a rain, snow, or shine podcast. My power went out. I drove back to work, and I'm recording now with Jordan. So there's commitment here. We're here to give you guys the best show possible, and I'm excited to be on it. All things considered, the rain was crazy, though. Like, like oh, I think a lightning bolt hit oh. one of the trees in my yard. I've got pictures, so like, it's, it's like crazy. Uh, but... Yeah, so, I mean, we're all here. It's fun. Hope you guys are staying safe in the rain. I don't know how it's going to be Friday when this releases, but I think it'll be topical because there's been a lot of summer rain yeah, this year. Especially the last few days, uh, too. It's like getting its last little leg in. But, yeah, me and Jordan were talking pre-show. Uh, we have had an issue with a certain outlet, and uh, Jordan actually tweeted at him, and I kind of you could kind of lead us into this, and I just want to hear what you have to say on this before I give my take on this certain outlet and how yeah, it's so, gone down. Yeah, so you know, Pro Football Focus, who um, 
is is honestly just garbage at this point now uh posted something and it was like a pass rep, rush rep of some guard or center going one-on-one with aaron donald and they're like oh everyone's hyping it they're like one one um whoever the guard was i think it was connor williams zero aaron donald and then i watched the video and aaron donald had this dude five yards into the backfield and whatever coach was fake playing quarterback literally looked like he was on skates like running like backing up out of the pass rush and i'm just like to who is that a win like to who to anyone who understands offensive line play or understands football how is that a win if you're a quarterback you always want to step up in the pocket and you have Aaron Donald and a 300 pound offensive lineman coming at you full speed because he's backpedaling because he got manhandled. And then like, I'm reading through like the replies and like all these people are trying to say like, Oh, it's a win. It's a win. And then like actual NFL offensive linemen or ex NFL offensive linemen are responding. And they're like, that's not a win for the offensive lineman. And now all these fans are like going off on them. And it's just like, Pro Football Focus has just, like, fumbled the bag so badly. And now it's just, like, shock tweeting and, like, opinion pieces that, like, the football masses who, you know, only look at, like, analytics or, like, don't understand, like, the nuances of the game. Just, like, well, Pro Football Focus said he was good, so he's good. And I'm just, like, it's just such a it's just such a crap outlet now. Yeah, so obviously we've all seen their list. Uh, I know Seth Galina is a guy that Ohio State, the Buckeye faithful, has been very negative towards. And, like, understandably, because I think a lot of the stuff they did with the Justin Fields coverage, with the coverage of player grades and all that stuff, to me, and I know a lot of people are starting to feel this way, it feels like PFF is literally just making up numbers to fit a narrative so then their people could sound smarter than everybody else because they have a number to back it up. And I don't, I don't appreciate that at all. Like, I think the one thing I remember, this is like the thing that stood out to me was when you'd look at the stats of a game and you'd see a quarterback who went like 16 for 31 with like three touchdowns and an interception for like 260 yards, have like a 93 grade. And then Justin Fields would go like 21 for 23 with like 296 yards and three touchdowns, no picks, and he'd have like a 91 grade. Then there was when I was like, what is pro football focus doing? What are they thinking? And then I noticed what you were saying. Like I really saw your tweet and was like, yeah, you know what? It feels like the people who are tweeting from pro football focus, a lot of the people who are writing from pro football focus don't understand the actual complexities of football and what a winning rep is, especially in the off season when there's nothing to talk about. Cause it's not like they're chopping up film, breaking it down. And I don't even know how much they actually do that anymore. So that's where I'm kind of at a loss with them. And I think fumble the bags. Are right yeah, way I don't to put think it. they do it anymore because they like they they come out, their tweets come out too quick after things happen for them to actually have like looked at it. And it's like, you know, I get, I guess trying to be nice or whatever. I understand the temptation because you reach a million, two million, however many followers and you get this sort of reputation and now you want to build on that. But it's like, your reputation was never being like the first to tweet things. Like we have ESPN and Bleacher Report and 
all the million fan pages to do that. Like your reputation was, or at least it should have been literally pro football focus, like bringing in the analytics and some of the other parts of the game, like really like that thing, in my opinion, should be like educating people. Like, you know, like these are the cool things and, and you have all your random numbers and QBR and all the other kind of stuff, which they were built off of. But now it's like, I don't even know if that stuff is accurate. Yeah, and it's hard because I know, like, I know the people that are trying, and I don't want to discredit, like, anything they're doing, but it's just more the the fact that they've gone from relying on numbers, relying on research, relying on data, to these guys being columnist opinionist and i'm like that's not what people go to pro football focus for that's not what people go to pro football focus college for they go for evaluations to see like legitimate reasoning on why this player is graded that way and once like they stop sharing like their formulas and doing all that type of stuff i kind of lost trust in them a little bit because i remember they used to explain everything on how they graded it it's based on this and all that but i remember a stat that came out from ESPN was total QBR. Yeah. Remember when that came out? It mm-hmm. kind of replaced passer rating. And I was like, okay, well, that's a cool stat. I understand it. Like throws are more important in different parts of the game. Interceptions are more important in different parts of the game. But it's hard to weigh that stuff that isn't actually measurable. You know, because like that interception in the first quarter could be just as important as an interception in the fourth quarter when you're driving down the field. If you don't throw that pick six in the first quarter – you probably don't need to have that second interception or that, you know, it's just like, it's a give and take on those moments and that type of stuff. So it's really hard to kind of take that, uh, the actual stats and mix them with context. And like, there's not a perfect balance to it. And I thought PFF used to do a really good job of that. And now I feel like they've no, kind of I lost agree. the touch I on remember, it. Um, I don't even remember the situation. I just know that they tweeted something that was like a joke. It was to like, you know, talk bad about a certain quarterback or something. And like someone in the NFL was like, basically like, what are y'all doing? Like, that's not what you're here for. Like we have, again, we have ESPN and Bleacher Report and all these other ones who, you know, make jokes and put out these bad, like, you know, things about people for like likes and interactions. And like, that is not the purpose of pro football focus. Um, and now it's almost like they don't have a, a, a purpose. Um, and it's, and the, and the thing is like, it's honestly just become like a, a place and this is not entirely their fault, but I think they bought into it. It's just become a place for like people who don't fully understand what's going on to like shout things at everyone and like prove that they're right. And it's like, no, you still have to like watch the games. Like you still have to watch them. They Like, no, regardless of however many stats and things that you have, like you still have to watch because the game itself is actually more important. Like you can get bogged down on stats and someone we're going to talk about today, you know, cause we're talking about safeties like Jordan Fuller, you know, if you look at stats and PFF and all these other kind of stuff, he's never going to be there in the highest grades. But what did he do? He went to the NFL and won a job immediately. And I'm sure there's a bunch of people who need safeties who are like, dang, wish we didn't let him fall to the sixth round. But it's like those are the kind of things when you don't actually like pay attention to players. You only look at stats. He had a slow 40 time like you got to watch the games. And so I don't know. I think pro football focus has kind of lost that. And it's kind of like I don't even I don't even like look I, like I ignore almost all of their tweets now. 
Yeah, because like a big part of before our show is like we used to really like Pro Football Focus. Like it was one of our favorite outlets to follow because of all the good things we've said about it. Not like and they've lost their way. And I think it's something they could get back. But I think it's something that they need to be reminded like they are a data page they are a context page and like yes okay your writers they're paid to have opinions and all that stuff as well but like it feels cheap when it's feels like the tweet took five minutes to write and then they go and backpedal on it because i remember that was the biggest issue with the seth galena stuff was he didn't really give any context to why his numbers were the way they were. And he just ended up pretty much saying, well, like, this is the way I thought. And I'm like, that's not probably yeah, focus. No. That's a column. That doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, I mean, no, I don't, we don't like to like rain on parades, but it was more just us wanting to talk about it. Cause we're just, we're not, we're like not mad. We're not angry at him. We're just disappointed. Honestly, uh, very disappointed, especially cause it was like, it was cool when they just started to transition into college. And it's like, you watch the game and this isn't even a Justin Fields things, although he was not highly rated in their thing or whatever, but you watch it and you're like, Ooh, that player's a lot better than, than what you're saying yeah. he is. Like, and then, like, that player gets, like, taken in the first round. But then you look at, like, pro football focus, and they're never on any of their top anything. And it's like, something's not adding up here. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, like, players I remember very specifically last year. I remember the game where Spencer Rattler got pulled. He ended up having, like, a 92 rating with pro football (laughs) focus. And I'm like, what? And that's where I kind of like I their their NFL stuff isn't the worst. Uh, their college football stuff, I, I think it, it really actually upsets me because I know how much you research college football. You've done a whole nother podcast on the Big Ten. I, I you put a lot of research into that. We put a lot of effort into these shows and providing data and details when we have the time to get them. And it, it like sucks when we just see these people making up numbers because those are numbers I yeah, used to I use as a resource. And now it doesn't feel like I can. I can't even cite those numbers without feeling like, well, you know, these might not even really be the case. But like, obviously, you still see PFF and you want to use them when they support your argument and narrative. But you can't because you're like, uh, well... I feel like because like morally, I'm like, this is a made up number. I could have just said, oh, yeah, I gave Justin Fields a 94.9 this week and I gave Mac Jones 87.3. How did you get those those numbers? How hard was that? (laughs) It's like I did math. So it's really it's just, yeah, no, it's fun. We it's 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 the roast of PFF. We're sorry. We had to do it. We had to get it off our chest because our wish for this season is for them to do a good job and provide us data and provide us context for a lot of things so we could use them in conversations because there there was a time Especially where they this were really season, good because there's so many i mean we're we're a buckeye podcast and maybe we should get to the buckeyes but there's so many things that are going to be interesting with pff if they were still like accurate like I guess it's sort of transition to what we're talking about. I I would love to see Ohio State's offensive line grades with with the changes that they're making. I would love to see like the quarterback grades for all the new quarterbacks because there's like I just feel like this year more than any like everyone has a new quarterback. Even if it's like a well known name, like you could say maybe Bryce Young's name is more well known than CJ Stroud, and he's played in one or two games, but he hasn't played DJ uh, Uy. 
you I mean, he played more than some of the other ones because of what happened with Trevor Lawrence. But still, yeah, like we have all stars, these players yeah. who you know have never played. Like I would love to see like the quarterback grades and the running, but like there's just so many new young faces in college football. This is like the first year in a while where we're gonna have like a lot of legit like new stars actually having to come into place because there's a lot of big players yeah. who left from last and year. And that's that's and what's going to make it fun. Place. It's all over the place. I mean, Michigan could be starting a freshman. Um, Penn State should be starting a freshman. They're not going to. I think they're going to stick with Sean Clifford. But, like, I'm pretty sure that they have a quarterback who's pretty good. And they're recruiting really good. So that doesn't help this year. But, like, next year they could start a freshman. Um I mean, there's a lot of a lot of cool things that would be like, oh, it would be so great to look at this and be able to compare outside of just like watching the games and having my personal feelings. But you got to find something else because yeah. we roasted PFF, but ESPN's worse. I don't look at anything ESPN. They're whatever, ESPN's worse. Yeah. <laughs> like what their recruiting is bad. Whatever their oh, power my. index, their recruiting. Whatever the FPI the, is, yeah, that no, is I, the I worst agree, thing like, I've ever heard of. Never makes sense. So, yeah. So, overall, the entirety of the football stats community. Please. Let's get better. And then, yeah, let's take it into – let's get to the Buckeyes. Let's go. Let's get started on Ohio State. There's some huge, huge news on the offensive line. I know since we're both big, we love we love the hogs. We love the guys who get in the trenches, do the dirty work. Make the guys like you as a linebacker, me as a defensive back and like receiver when I played feel happy. They give us all the openings. They give us all the opportunity. Uh, there's some really interesting ideas happening with Coach Studera and how he's going with the offensive line. If you guys have not been following the news, Ohio State's plan with the offensive lines to get the best five out there. And right now, that would make the left tackle Nicholas Petit-Friere, who was the right tackle last year. Thayer Munford, the All-American left tackle, moving to left guard Harry Miller at center as of now there's still competition for center we'll get into that probably another time on the position battle show and then on the next side of the line the right side you've got Paris Johnson Jr. the five-star tackle prospect who has just been mauling people in camp apparently and then at the right side you have Dewan Jones who is 6'8 to 6'9 360 pounds to 370 pounds and playing with a ton of consistency according to Ryan Day and Coach Studera. So I have always been a fan of getting the best five offensive linemen out there. Uh, I think this is the route you have to go. And I just want to know, like, are you as excited about me at, at this as like, cause I think this is the best no, case. I scenario. love it. And I love it for multiple reasons. The the main reason that I love it though, is I love it for Dewan Jones because how many times do you see that? Right? Like how many times do you see a player and like I think we should I think we're we're not doing it justice if we don't talk about his recruiting profile, but not even just his recruiting profile. Like yeah, how absolutely. often do you see a player be so good that they're forced to change other people's positions so he can get on the field? Former like, all Americans. That, that's right. Like not even like, just other people, like former all Americans, like projected first round picks, like projected to be all Americans again. Top, you know, I don't know how you feel about it or how other people feel. Evan Neal, the offensive tackle, who's also a freak um, from Alabama, may be considered the best offensive lineman in the country. But like they're both 
probably top five, especially for tackles, um, Petit Freer and Thayer Mumford. And Dewan Jones is playing so yeah. well that they're like, move down the guard. Like, we have to get him on the field. I, I love that. I think that's great for him. I obviously think it's great for Ohio State. Um, as a fan, as a team, you want to have the best five. I'm a big fan of the best five. Um Versus just like slotting people into like just positions just because or because of seniority. We talk about that all the time, like how coaches go with seniority and not the best players. But mostly I'm just excited for Dewan Jones because you add in his recruiting profile, the fact that he was supposed to be a developmental player. He's doing this in his third year. Like I'm sure when Ohio State recruited yeah. him, he was a guy that they're like, he'll be a fifth year, six year senior for us. And he'll no, his third year and he's pushing two All-American offensive tackles, projected first-round picks, and two other positions. Yeah, and last year, last year we saw them try, we, we saw Ohio State try him at guard a few times, and he was just, I think he was just too big to be on the inside. I think it just kind of throws off the lanes that a quarterback's trying to pass through when you have a 6'9 guy playing in the middle like that. Uh, there's a certain height limit I think you have when you have – a six two or six three quarterback with who's standing directly in front of him, pass protecting, and then on top of that, the point you made where he's just playing so well, I think that's what should excite Ohio State fans. Like, if you have a player who's pushing at a position to move the whole plan of the offense around. I think this is a position group as of now I'm the most excited for. I think they found trust in Harry Miller. I think Harry Miller being back at his natural position is absolutely going to be huge for him. I know he's a center at heart. I know he's been a center his whole career. So that's big. I think Thayer Munford, I think he is a guy. I didn't see him project him as an NFL tackle. I projected him probably shifting down in the NFL. So this just adds to his positional versatility for the draft process. So smart move by him. I think Petit Friere is probably the most athletic lineman we have. So I think him at left tackle makes a ton of sense. But this really gets me excited for the first game of the season. This was like seeing this news was like the thing that I'm like, you know what? Football's back. Like there's camp. There's people here. There's position battles being won. There's people moving mountains. And if anyone's going to move a mountain, it's going to be yeah. DeWan Jones. <laughs> but – Oh, yeah, it's just it's just something that gets you excited as a football fan. Everyone loves DeWan Jones. Everyone knows his story. But the thing you got to give him so much credit for, a part of the reason he was a developmental prospect was because they said he was too heavy. He was too unathletic. He was too inconsistent. He wasn't strong enough. So he had to go through all these check boxes, challenge that, lose 40 pounds, become a better athlete, you know, get stronger in his upper body. He did all that. And now he is playing with a reckless abandonment in that way that you just no one can move him. And that's exactly what you want from a tackle. And it's it's exciting. Yeah, for and sure. I was listening to um I was listening to four to six with A and B on the athletic, and one thing that they mentioned is that everyone thought that if anyone was gonna do this, it was gonna be Paris Johnson, uh, just because of his recruiting profile and how good he was. And again, you know. Paris Johnson was, wasn't he the number one offensive tackle in the country or at least two or three? Yeah, I think yeah. he was the number one offensive tackle in the country. In the, you know, all of yeah. this hype on And he's playing. I mean, he's going to be the starting guard. But so it's not that he's not good, but it's like they didn't want to put Thayer Mumford at guard for Paris Johnson, who everyone thought like if it was going to be happening, it was going to be him. So that speaks even more to how good Dewan Jones is being. If the number one, the number one recruit. Yeah. 
at his position couldn't force change along the offensive line and had to acquiesce to a position that they've never played to again be a part of the best five because Paris Johnson is going to be a tackle next year because that's his natural position but they wanted to get him on the field so they put him at guard. If Paris Johnson and his recruiting profile and his five star had to move to guard it even speaks even more to how good Dewan Jones is for them to be like no. You can be tackled. We'll move someone else. Yeah and and it's crazy because I, I remember they interviewed Paris Johnson Jr. They've interviewed a lot of players for the first time since they've been allowed to interview. And I think the conversation about them all buying into the idea that positionless offensive line play is the way to do it. Being the best offensive lineman you could possibly be is the best plan to get on the field. And they're all embracing it. And I think that is exactly the type of championship DNA you want in your program because – there's no hate. There's no vitriol that Dewan Jones is going to be starting a right tackle if this ends up working out that way. There's no hate that Paris Johnson, a guy who was a five-star tackle, was playing guard. You know, there's no ill will. Like Thayer Munford was an All-American last year as a guy who uh, was so important, such an important leader on the team last year. He he didn't have to take a sidestep. Like apparently he approached Coach Studera and Ryan Day with the idea of him bouncing to guard so they could get the best five offensive linemen on the field. And when I was listening to that, I was like, you know, that is really what oh, a captain yeah. of a football team does. That's really what you want from your fifth year seniors. That is the type of attitude you need because regardless of what it all comes out to be, uh Paris Johnson Jr., whoever ends up playing, because this is a deep offensive line. I think Ohio State has three or four guys who aren't going to be starters in Matt Jones, Luke Whipler, you know, guys like that, Emok Mamahi. Those guys are really good football players they would start as well. On just about any big and 10 they, team. Yeah, I, I think I was reading today that like a lot of people would be confident saying our next five offensive linemen after our best five would be probably the third or fourth best offensive line. Yep. In the Big Ten, and that's that's saying a lot because there are some really talented offensive linemen in there. But the depth of Ohio State's offensive line, just like every other position, is deep, like really deep. And it's just it's just one of those aspects where we came into it. I don't think anyone really projected how the five were going to turn out. I don't think anyone really predicted a lot of moving around with the two tackles. But I think. This is the perfect situation when a player approaches you of the talent of Thayer Munford about a position change to increase the talent on the offensive line. You got to accept it. You got to take it. And this is something that Ryan Day and his staff have done so well is set, like setting expectations and having the players. Yeah, and I think what's important to mention is like this is also not something that's happening because we're weak somewhere in the offensive line. I'm 1,000% comfortable saying Paris Johnson, Luke Whippler, and Donovan, well, maybe not Donovan Jackson. He's a freshman, but possibly Donovan Jackson. And uh, there's one more that I'm forgetting that's a guard, um, Matt Jones. I'm Matt very Jones. confident that the four of them Please. would start. At just about anywhere in the Big Ten. There are some places with really, really good offensive line. We talk about Iowa, Wisconsin, so maybe not there. But just about everywhere else, and especially in other parts of the country, they would be starting. The only one that I'm on the fence about is Donovan Jackson because he's a freshman. But Donovan Jackson's been in camp for a week and a half, and he's already in the two deep. So 
Yeah, and everyone's already like praising how prepared he came, how prepared his body was, how physical he's been. And that's not that's like all the stuff you want to hear about a freshman offensive lineman is how physically ready they were for the change. Because there's moments you see with some of these young offensive linemen, but being able to perform at that level consistently is always a challenge for young guys. And that's usually because they're not physically right. all the way uh, there. So I, I mean I'm I'm very excited about this. Um I think that our offensive line is going to be the best in the country, if not the second best in the country. Um, I, I I don't know who's going to be better as a full offensive line. Like I said, you might say that Evan Neal is better than Thayer Mumford, or you might say one person is better than one person. But as a collective, I just don't see anyone having a better offensive line than this. Um, and then and it also is just like – Offensive line is not typically a place you transfer either. So this is going to happen. And then next year, we're going to have Dewan Jones at tackle, who has a full season of starting experience. Next year, we're going to have Paris Johnson move out to tackle. He has a full year of starting experience. I don't know that Harry Miller is going to leave unless he just has an amazing year. But even if he doesn't, Luke Whipler is going to get into the game. So like not only are we getting a great offensive line this year, we're building the blocks for next year as well. And that, I mean, that's yeah. exciting. And, and I think the understated aspect is like, you have guys like Matt Jones, you have guys like that who are still actually relatively pretty young in terms of uh, class years. So, they still have eligibility left. They still have time to work on the field, which is why you alluded to, like, there's not a lot of transferring in the offensive line, and that's because there's five spots. There's two positions on each side. You've got one center, so that's, like, kind of the one that gets lost. But a lot of centers can play guard. A lot of guards uh, like can play center. So, you know, you kind of see those interchange a little bit. And then any tackle, as we're seeing, can move inside. So – just because you're pigeonholed right now and you're kind of stuck at behind someone at guard or you're stuck at someone behind tackle doesn't mean next year there can't be some sort of inner in move. There can't be some sort of change. You know, the talk about Luke Whipler is that he's developed a ton physically and his consistency might not be all the way there yet, but he is able to do stuff he wasn't able to last year. And that's why he's pushing Harry Miller in this competition still. And that's why it's not a done deal, but uh, it's just one of those things. Offensive yeah. linemen develop differently than other positions. And it's very clear because it's hard to be 300 pounds. It's hard to be 320 pounds and maintain your athleticism. There's a really tough, fine balance in putting that weight on and maintaining that athleticism. And it doesn't work the same with everybody. Sometimes it takes a little to be able to move at that weight. And once you get comfortable, yeah, it changes everything. Yeah, offensive line is a position where, one, you don't want to replace because it's all about consistency. You want your first five in, and then when you want to replace, you want to put in that whole second five um, because everyone has their own styles. Um so you don't want to typically replace people. And it's so you also have to be physically yeah. and mentally prepared to play almost every single snap of the game. Um, but the the good thing, especially for the second team, is you're at Ohio State. There's going to be, you know, they may not take out the quarterback, right? Because they want the quarterback to, um, 
whatever to get more experience and all that other kind of stuff. But they're going to replace the whole offensive line because they don't want them to get injured either. So I, once if you're in that two deep, you're going to play a lot of snaps. Um, it, it's not necessarily yeah. the same as sometimes being lost at wide receiver, where if you're the, you know, if you're the eighth wide receiver, you're not going to play. If you're the eighth, you know, if you're the eighth offensive lineman, you're probably the next man up on at your position. You may be the eighth offensive lineman, but you're the second yeah. guard or you're the second tackle. So you're going to get a lot of playing experience too, um, which is why our offensive line kind of just rolls. I mean, Dewan, like we mentioned, Dewan Jones got some playing experience. Harry Miller played at guard. Paris Johnson got some playing experience. Even Nicholas petit Freer got some playing experience on the left side instead of just the right side um, because their Mumford missed a couple of snaps or a game or something like that. So um, I just think like this is like it's exciting for this year, but it's even more exciting because I think we're going to be very, very future. dominant. And I think we're going to see an increase in first round picks. Because we talked about it once before. Ohio State lives in the third round with their offensive linemen. Um, but with I think linemen. with the people we have now, with the flexibility, Thayer Mumford moving to guard, if Dewan Jones is this good, there's nothing to say he can't be a first round. He's 6'8, 360. Like the NFL was going to draft him. And the first three sixties, the NFL is going to draft him in the first round off size alone. <laughs> yeah, and I think oh, like to like wrap this up a little bit, like it's going to prepare them for the future as well because you're going to have guys playing in positions, and it's going to prepare you for life without Darren Mumford. It's going to prepare you for life without Nicholas Petit Friere with Paris Johnson Jr. and Dewan Jones both getting on the field because as we both know replacing guards is easier than replacing yes. elite tackle play and that that's just it's just kind of what you always hope for and uh, I think you nailed it on the head when you said if you're in the two deep you're gonna play and there's going to be a guy who's the sixth offensive lineman who kind of comes in regardless of position that fills the void if anyone gets hurt, and that's an important spot. I think there's going to be a competitive competition for that as well. I think I think Luke Whipple yeah, is probably going to lock likely. that one up. Um, and yeah, so I think this is a really no, good I situation. Agree. The last in. thing I have to say on it is if you look at the NFL, right outside of like the top top guys, right? Your left tackles, sometimes the right tackle. Everyone else on the offensive line plays multiple positions because you're only, it's a 53 man roster, which means you can, it's not like college where you can have 15 yeah. offensive linemen. A lot of NFL teams carries like eight offensive linemen and the other three have to be able to play every position. Yeah. There's swing tackles and then there's someone that can play both guard spots and center. So, you know, if, for anyone who's listening that may be worried about, is this a negative for Thayer Mumford, which is a fair question, right? Like you do want to think about Thayer Mumford and like his pro prospects and things like that. If Thayer Mumford doesn't go to the NFL and become an instant starter at tackle and just lock down the job for 15 years, he has to be able to play multiple positions because that's how you make your money i know we've all anyone who actually pays attention to like offensive line and like free agency there are offensive linemen 
who are the equivalent of like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who every time they always get a check. They they may be on 10 different teams in their career, but they always get a check because they can play multiple positions and they always get someone's always going to need them because that is the skill set in the NFL. So for Thayer Mumford, it's also beneficial. Sure. Personally, I hope he gets a left tackle job in the NFL because that's where the really, really good money is. And it'll just be great to see Thayer Mumford locking down a left tackle spot for 12 years and be like, that's a Buckeye. But if that doesn't happen, he now has a full year of tape that says I did offensive left tackle for four years and was one of the best in the country. And then I shifted down the guard and I can do that. And you have 15 games of tape. And on top of that, it shows the kind of person he is, which NFL teams are going to love because he's a selfless team. We don't need any off more offensive linemen, but like, yeah, we're not going to draft the offensive linemen in the first yeah, round. But like, awesome. I would love if the coach drafted him. He's the kind of player that we need. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of position battles, we're going to move forward here. Uh, this is one that's extremely interesting because I think over the years, it's been one of the strongest positions at Ohio State in its history. The linebacker positions, what I'm referring mm-hmm. to here. Uh, there is a player who moved sides of the ball. And I think me and Jordan differ on opinion a little bit here, but not too far. Uh, I think the reason... Uh, Steel Chambers moved is not because of the linebackers being weak. And I think the coaches are excited to have them, maybe because the linebacker room is not performing as well as they would have hoped at this point in time. So Steel Chambers, it's official. He has made the switch full time from running back to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, We all know the loaded running back room. Me and Jordan have talked about that countless times on this show with Master Teague, with mine, Williams, Travion Henderson, Evan Pryor. Uh, Marcus Crowley, you know, the list the list is pretty deep with those five names there. And about two to three of them will get regular carries. So best interest of Steel Chambers to move. I know your opinion on it is a negative on the linebacker room, and I just kind of want to get your context I, so on why. It's not even just a negative because of Steel Chambers. It's everything that's happened this offseason, right? And even going to the previous years because you look at the linebackers and – no matter how you feel about uh, Pete Warner and Tuff Borland, I know we like Pete Warner a little bit more than most. He's not my favorite player, but I think he's a lot more talented than people realize, which is why he got drafted so high. But like Tuff Borland, I don't think was that great, to be honest. And you look at the the, the linebackers who four or five star, all this talent, Dallas Gant, Trajan Mitchell, all these people, and they couldn't at least – fight for more playing time or make tough boiling irrelevant. Right. So that's has me a little cautious, but I'm like, nope, they're good. We have Al Washington fine. But then you look at the off season and they go for Henry Tua Tua and they don't get him. And it's like, okay, whatever. He's a five star. Why wouldn't you want him? But then as soon as they don't get him, they go to get a second linebacker um, and Palio Gaia Tote. And the thing with him, this is not disparaging of him. He's not even eligible to play right now for whatever reason. And he's currently on at a walk on. So this is a player who's talented, but you kind of had to jump through hoops to get him. It wasn't just an easy transfer, someone that could play immediately. And then you add Steel Chambers moving over to linebacker. And it just makes me feel like the linebackers aren't good. Like you're making all of these roster moves. You're doing all this stuff. 
to add to the position. And f- throughout the whole offseason, I was the person that's just like, they're just getting someone because it's a five-star. It's not that the room is bad because there was a lot of doom and gloom um, with the linebacker room. And I was like, no, like they're just trying to add to the room. Like it's not weak, fully trusting in them. But then when they keep making moves and they keep doing stuff, even in camp, and you just add it all together, the math is math. And it just feels like maybe – Maybe they're not that good. Maybe Dallas Gant's not that good. Maybe Trodger Mitchell's not that like maybe there's a reason why Tough Bullen was here so long. Maybe there's a reason that when we hear about players, we hear about, you know, um Craig Young, who technically is not going to be a linebacker, but like we hear about some of the younger players like Ronnie Hickman, who's also technically not a linebacker, but we hear about them a little bit more than we're hearing about the super seniors who we yeah. should be really excited to see. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping it's just like you said, I hope it's just hey, the running back room was full. You played linebacker before come over here that's going to be your best chance to play you can play more linebackers on the field at once I'm hoping it's that but it just has me worried that linebackers are not good um and that scares me as a previous linebacker and someone that suffered through the Bill Davis era as we all did yeah and I I think I so when when you brought that up it did raise my eyebrow a little bit I was kind of like you know what he's actually like that's fair because Taraja Mitchell has shown flashes of being an absolutely physically imposing linebacker, but he's never been able to do it consistently. Kevon Pope, Dallas Gant, you know, those guys have been in for key moments of games at times. They've played snaps. They've always kind of been just outside of the linebacker rotation, but they never really cracked it. And now with the four-two-five, that room just got even thinner. Uh, with opportunity because like you said you've got guys like court williams you got guys like ronnie hickman you've got these different hybrid type players who could just do more than a traditional linebacker can and that's taking away from them so now you've got a will and a mike linebacker position what is ohio state going to do with those we've got a ton of young guys we've got a ton of older guys who haven't shown the consistency to put the trust in the coaching staff which i think that's the big word we're missing here you know, Al Washington, he's recruited well. He's gotten players. Uh, tr- the guys on the roster are not Al Washington guys. So the relationships can be there. There can be trust. But I feel like Ryan Day, Kerry Coombs, they're all guys who have seen everything from these guys in practice every single day of the week. And the two transfers in Steel Chambers, I think, kind of highlight the difficulty of that room right now. I think it's a lack of identity. I don't think they fully know what they want from their linebackers either. So I think that's kind of like a battle of continuity there. And I'm struggling to see a positive with having nine guys who can possibly play at this point in time. You know, this is a position where you have guys who could have taken it by the reins in the spring. And all you hear about is the young guys. You don't hear about Taraja Mitchell lighting it up in camp. You don't hear about this guy lighting it up in camp. And that is what raises red flags to me. I think Steel Chambers moved 100% because he was the seventh running back in that room. And that is why he's over there. And I I remember when he was getting recruited, a lot of people assumed he was going to come and play defense. And he ended up being a running back, which confused a lot of people. But, yeah, I just think this room has six or seven guys who can legitimately play. uh, But none of them have shown that they are the guy. And that's fair. I think that's a better way to look at it. Like not, you know, to be negative. It's just like, hey, they're just bringing in more competition. You know, iron sharpens iron, which I have no problem with. But. 
I don't know. It just kind of, it just kind of makes me, uh, it just kind of makes me a little nervous uh, because as I've said before, like I want yeah. the silver bullets back, man. Like I love offense. I love putting up 40, 50 points a game, but like, when's the last time we had a shutout? Like, it, like, it, like, you know, it's yeah. we'll blowing teams out and then our second stringers get in and they get a field goal or they get a touchdown and maybe shutouts aren't realistic in today's college football. And maybe I should just get over it. But like, I just want a dominant. Was, I just want to see a slightly more dominant defense and, for all the things that that talks about, I genuinely still believe that that starts with linebacker. Um, and at Ohio State, we're always going to have defensive linemen, so that's just not even something to worry about. Uh, but you know, we're building, we're building in the secondary. We hear a lot about the young guys. You know, there's a lot of good things you hear about Seven Banks putting a lot of work in the off season. You you hear that Cameron Brown is coming back healthy and is starting to trust his leg again from his Achilles and he recruited really well, but it's like, we can't be, we're young at secondary. And so you expect some mistakes, but we're not young at linebacker. And if we're not good at yeah. linebacker and we're not young, that's a problem. And I just don't know how to feel about that. Yeah, and I think when we did our top five linebackers segment a few weeks back, one of the biggest things we kept bringing up is, like, when was the last time we had a Raekwon McMillan? When was the last time we had a Ryan Shazier? When was the last time we had a Deron Lee? It feels like it's been five or six years. Like, yeah, we had Malik Carrison, but we really only got one year. Yeah, and they did not do him right. You know, and Pete Werner wasn't really the elite player until – well, he, like his last two years, and then that got overshadowed because of Tough Borland. And it's not a knock on Tough. Tough did everything right in his career. He just wasn't an athlete like yeah. to the level he needed to be at times. And he was really good nine out of the 12 games because he was a good enough athlete against lower tier Big Ten teams. But once we played elite speed, it was really apparent that he should not have been the guy out there. And but the problem is we didn't yeah, have anybody else. I just else. want to get back to the days where, where you see a gap, and then it closes, and and the running back is tackled, yeah. you know, three yards behind the line of scrimmage as soon as he gets the ball. Like I, I get it, I get the blitzing and the sacks and generating pressure, but I want to see a four-two or a four-three, a regular football play. They try to run inside zone, outside zone, and a linebacker just comes out of nowhere and shuts it down. And and we just have not just had that. I want to see a linebacker putting a, a running back into the quarterback's lap. I, I just think like we just haven't had. And I don't know. I say this all the time. Like, maybe I'm asking too much. Maybe I'm spoiled. Well, like, they're still going to be in the national championship hunt. But there's, those are things that matter to me. And I, I think that's important. And I just – I want dominant linebackers. These are the, the – these are like the razor-thin things that, like, separate national champions from playoff teams. That's, yeah, that's where it, it is. It's razor-thin, but it matters. Like, there's something that separates us from Alabama. There's something that separates us from Clemson, and it's not the roster. We have a better roster than Clemson. I think you could – like, I don't care what anyone says, and that's proven, but it's the coaching. They don't make as many bad decisions. Like, they – whatever it was, up until last year, Clemson had our number, and Alabama has the coaching – and the players and the 75 million assistant coaches who aren't coaches. They call them analysts. But it's those razor thin things, and, and we need them to step up. 
Yeah, and it, it's always going to be something. We're always going to have something to complain about right now. It's the linebackers because it is it is a cause for concern. It is eyebrow raising that there hasn't been anyone who's legitimately taken either either starting spot by the reins, and that's something to be looked at. And then the next thing we got, we've got one more competition battle sort of quarterback position thing, and I know we've talked about this a lot, so we're going to try to keep it short today. But I think uh, Ryan Day said he plans on having this wrapped up this weekend. I don't think we have to spend much time on it. We've set our piece on the quarterbacks. You're a McCord guy. You want him to get his opportunity. I think he's ultra talented. I think he'd be great. I I think Stroud's got it locked up already. Uh, We've debated that plenty. But Quinn Ewers showing up tomorrow, Thursday. When we record, it'll be yesterday for you guys. So, I, I don't think it impacts no. this quarterback competition at all. I still think it's a two-man race, and I still think uh, Jack Miller is competing more for the second string right now than Quinn Ewers can at this moment. No, I agree. Um, my, I'm ready to start my campaign for McCord 2023. Um, I think, I think, I think you mentioned this last week, where you said if the quarterback battle wraps up early, it's going to be C.J. Stroud. Maybe I'm making that up. Did you say that? I said that. I, I know a lot yeah, of other like, people. Like, well, if it's going it to be well. done this weekend, I think it's going to be CJ Stroud. I, I think Kyle McCord's really talented, and I think, and my biggest thing because I, I think I've always maintained that he's most likely going to beat out Quinn if he beats out anyone. Um, is that I just think he was more in the competition than people tried to say. Um, I do think people he had think. a very legitimate chance of starting. I just think that. CJ Stroud, if he does win and he's most likely going to win, is just a little bit better. He's a little bit older, a little bit more refined. But um, I think, yeah, if the even if they tell us, they don't tell us, whatever happens, I think if they're making the decision by this weekend, that first scrimmage, I think it's CJ Stroud is who they wanted to say after the spring, and they just needed to see it. They just needed, like, let's see how you do yeah. over the summer. They just needed – yeah. That final piece of evidence before they lock it in. And that's how I kind of felt about it. I know I know it's it's tough. Quarterback Ryan Day's probably not gonna name the starter officially until week one, the day before the Minnesota game. But internally, I honestly do believe that him, Corey Dennis, uh the offensive coaches have an idea of what direction it's heading. And they're planning for it with the way they're designing the offense, what plays they're going with. And that's the thing about the three quarterbacks who are there is they all have Mm -hmm. very similar skill sets, uh, all a little different in their own way. Uh, Stroud and Miller are a little bit better athletes than McCord. McCord's got a little bit more live of an arm than the other two. But as a whole, the group can do everything you want from a modern quarterback, all three of them. They could all get out, run a little bit, mix in the zone read, do enough there to keep people honest. Stroud's probably going to be the best at that. Jack Miller's not too far behind him on that. I think Miller's got a stronger arm than Stroud. I think Stroud's yeah, got the weakest arm of the three guys. Hearing, and that's, but, but I think he quarterbacks and plays and point guard the kind best. Of and it's yeah. not like he's and that's limited. the thing. I think that's what they're what they're saying. It's like 
to just make up numbers like you know Stroud's arm is probably if this was Madden or whenever we get NCAA football back Stroud's yeah. arm is probably like an 88 or 90 but that's enough to win because Kyle McCord is probably like a 97 like it's his is just exceptional it's not that yeah. Stroud's is bad it's just McCord is exceptional he has an extra level which sure it would yeah. be great to watch a ball 90, 60 yards in the air on the dime but you can do the same thing 45 yards in the air, you know? Like, there may be some slight other things, but yeah. sometimes you need that quarterback who can make every throw and not just the electric ones. And it seems like Stroud can make every other throw that you want to make, um, and that's why he's leading. And with the with the receiving group that we have, with Olave back, with Garrett Wilson back, we know the priority is just having the quarterback who can get them the ball the most accurately and the most consistently. Because you know it really is not going to be – whoever wins the quarterback job is driving – I don't even know because I don't think there's a car nice enough to compare it to. I was going to say Bugatti, but I don't even think that's enough. Like, honest to God, you have seven guys who would start every single Literally. place in the country. On this roster right the now. Freshman. And that is the true freshman. Yeah. Amike Buka. Uh, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, you've got Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith and Jigba. You've got Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, just to name a few. And that's like that's not even counting everybody who can probably yeah. start somewhere else. It's Marvin just ha- that deep. So that's why I think I think Stroud has the advantage, honestly, because I just think his consistency is what's driving yeah, him Marvin up the Harrison board. Marvin Harrison Jr. looks like a box of money. Like he literally, like he looks like he's been in the program for years, and that that surprised a lot of people. Yeah, he did. He showed that, up right. Like, I don't know what him and his dad was doing, um, but his dad has a gold jacket, man. It, like, not even just that his dad, yeah, yeah not even just that his dad is a good player, that his dad was in the NFL. Like, his dad is one of the best. That translates. Like, not that not that I'm saying that Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to get a gold jacket or anything, but that the knowledge, the work ethic, the the fine. Like, you don't get a gold jacket by just like exactly Without he the has it, and it showed. The yeah, floor so, for him I is mean, extremely high. He's not starting. <laughs> like the like he's gonna he's yeah. probably gonna play, but that's how good the other guys are too, that he's coming in and he's not an immediate starter. And so CJ Stroud is going to be very, very good. Um I think this year is there's going to be uh, there's going to be some ups and downs, but I think he's going to be better than a lot of even national people are projecting. And I think next year is going to be like, yeah, uh, it's like I think next year he can contend for the Heisman because I mean, he has the talent. He he has yeah. the talent. If that was never out of question. Ohio State's quarterbacks are like carbon copies of each other, too. I don't know if you noticed that, but when they were. When they were doing media days yeah. or something, they were like, C.J. Stroud, 6'3", 220. Kyle McCord, 6'3", 219. Jack Miller, 6'3", 220. And I'm like, are they all the same quarterback? Like, like Ryan Day checked the box, 6'3", yeah. 215. Like, that's the quarterback that I want. And all three of them are literally like, the only difference is like a couple of pounds. Give them ten, give them one more year, and they're all going to be the same exact measurements as Justin yeah. Fields, and that's the best part. Is Justin Fields six three or is he six two? It six two two thirty. So two twenty five. They'll have they'll have an inch on him, <laughs> but yeah, they're going to be all like yeah. six three two twenty five. That's going to be ridiculous. And that, that 
That's a crazy part. And I guess the last thing I kind of want to touch on with the quarterbacks before we move on to our last two topics on here. Uh, I, I guess, how do you think this is going to be handled? Because uh, I, I want to let you go first here because I kind of have my way on how I feel they're going to rotate the four quarterbacks. And I just kind of want to hear how so you feel. So Ryan Day made a quote or had a quote, not made a quote, uh, had a quote that really stuck with me because I think it's the only way to handle it. He said it's a long way to January and where we want to pick a quarterback and he's going to be the starter. So I think this is going to be traditional. I think it's going to be a starter. There's going to be a backup. Maybe if we're blowing someone out, um, maybe if we're blowing someone out, they might get two backups in. But do you remember the very first year of Justin Fields where like, we're all like, bro, we're up by 50 and you won't take Justin Fields out. Take him out. I think it's going to be like that. I think it's going to be like that because as talented as Justin Fields was and as talented as CJ Stroud is there, you, you, you take quarterbacks out or players out when you don't need them and quarterbacks need the reps. So we might not see Alave. We might not see Garrett Wilson. We might see some other offensive linemen. But I think, especially in the very beginning, it's going to be hard pressed for them to take him out because he doesn't, he needs the rep and it doesn't benefit him to only play till halftime. Because when you play Alabama, Clemson, or I'm projecting Georgia because I think Georgia is going to win the SEC. I don't know why they should have, whatever. That's not what we're talking about. But when you play those teams, you need those reps and you don't want to have like, yeah, he's only played, you know, halftime for 11 of our 12 games because we were blowing out. So I really don't think we see the other quarterbacks. I think we see him and whoever's the backup. And if it's like a really, really bad blowout, maybe they'll mix in a third quarterback. Maybe they'll mix in a little Jack Miller to keep him happy. So he doesn't trade mid um transfer mid season or something. But I really think we see, yeah, Whoever the winner, I guess we're going to call it Stroud. I think we see Stroud 80, 85% of the time, especially the first six games um, where he really, really gets those reps no matter what. So, yeah. So I'm actually happy because you agreed with most of my sentiment on this. I think Stroud is going to have that same Justin Fields type thing where he plays almost 90% of the time. Uh, You remember last year how they gave Jack Miller the first series. They gave – CJ Stroud the next series and then by the end of the season Stroud would come in in an emergency situation so that kind of made him seem like the yeah. legitimate backup there I think we'll see that with the second string position I think there's going to be a battle with that throughout the season just to keep everyone interested but I think the quote that I took from Ryan Day that said about it was I, he doesn't yep. want the quarterback looking over his shoulder like that is the last thing you want from a starter once they pick a guy yeah. he's the guy and I think that is where you get Kyle McCord, who's a freshman. You get Jack Miller, who's going to be a redshirt freshman. You got Quinn Ewers coming. This is my hot take on this. I don't think Quinn Ewers plays more than a series. I would this be year surprised if he takes a snap, honestly. And that's that's uh, that's my boldest prediction. I think I have. I think a lot of fans are super high. Like he's going to play. He's going to be the backup. All this stuff. And I'm like, I don't think so. I think McCord and Jack Miller provide a safer backup route because they've been in camp. They've been in the offense for way more time than him, and you don't have the same learning curve. And now say, uh, you know, Kyle McCord wins the backup job outright. We're, we're not going to know that unless someone gets injured, you know? So 
it's a knock on wood scenario, but I think it's going to be, like you said, 90% of the time it's going to be CJ Stroud because it doesn't benefit him to not play. He's a first year starter. He needs every rep he can get regardless of the score. Regardless of the situation. No, I, I agree 100%. And I just put up Ohio State schedule just to look at it. And there's really not a good place for, you know, um, Quinn Ewers to come in because it's going to take at least two months roughly, including camp, two months roughly for him to be ready to play if he's ever ready to play. So two months puts that in like October. Well, in October, they they play Rutgers October 2nd, but I think that's too early. They play Maryland, maybe, but like Maryland, yeah, Those Maryland's almost never a blowout for, right for some reason because I don't know. Then we play Indiana and Penn State. He's definitely not coming out. Like the starter's not coming out in those games. I don't like, I think we win, but I don't think we blow anyone out comfortably enough to see a third quarterback. So the only thing that makes sense is yeah. the we, we play Nebraska, Purdue, and Michigan State right before we play Michigan. So maybe he plays in that three-game stretch. But, like, is it really worth playing a third quarterback in November? Like, I, Yeah, and that's really, like, at that point, yeah, maybe just to get his feet wet in a game. But at that point, I'd rather exactly. him not risk getting hurt. If you, if you can't get him on the field so, till November, you might as well just redshirt him and just let let Jack yeah. Miller and let CJ. Um, well, we're assuming CJ Stroud is winning. Let Jack Miller and Kyle McCord fight through the season for that backup. Let them rotate. If you do get a third quarterback in, let it be whoever's the third string and just put Quinn on the back burners. Honestly, like I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't travel. And it's him. not even. It's oh, not it's even knock on Quinn. Yeah, it's not even a knock on Quinn. It's just like the reality of the situation is the safest route's having yeah. the three older guys. Keep everyone happy. And then it's just they already have the grasp, the understanding, and Quinn's going to be playing catch up from the minute he shows up because he's already late for him. Yeah, he's, I mean, by the time he shows up, they're going to be getting, they're going to be live tackling and getting ready for, uh, getting ready for the scrimmage. Yeah. And then, so, yeah, I'm going to move the uh, next topic for our best for last real quick. Uh, we're going to move forward here, guys. Uh, the quarterback battle is going to be decided by this weekend. I'm just going to put that out there for everyone. I think Jordan agrees. Uh, and if it's not, that's a sign that Ryan Day decided it and yeah. hasn't told everybody. Maybe maybe Kyle McCord has an amazing scrimmage. And it's like scrimmage. Yeah, he yeah. goes 22 for 23, so like we'll five give him, touchdowns. We'll give him another week. Like, but, uh, like, I think at this point, I think it's pretty solid. You know, CJ Stroud is going to be the starter. Kyle McCord is going to be the primary backup. And Quinn Ewers is going to redshirt. Jack Miller. The interesting thing is just going to be, does Jack Miller transfer? Which he probably should. Jack Miller would instantly start. Like I would, I don't want to even put this out in the air because it's scary. But could you imagine like Jack Miller at Penn State, who hasn't had a a really good quarterback in a while, or like Jack Miller at um, Northwestern or Wisconsin, like anywhere that hasn't had like a like he's a really talented quarterback. That would be scary. I hope they. I hope if he transfers, I hope he goes to like the SEC or something. I do not want to see him. Um, and I've been saying it for weeks. I hope yeah. he's our Mac Jones. Or well, I mean, that's the that's the better option. Like, but if he does transfer, I hope he doesn't go. I hope he goes to like. I hope it's yeah, somewhere way on the, the other West side Coast. of the go country. Go like Arizona, Arizona State. Yeah, like go to anywhere. Washington, Washington State. Because yeah, he's that's a very like here. none of these teams needs a competent quarterback because that's going to be scary. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that takes us on to the quarterbacks of the defense here, the safety. So our top fives this week. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm leading into it this time. Uh, Jordan, you're going to give us the first one this week because I think I went first last week, if I remember right. Uh, the list, this list was hard. Uh for different reasons for me it was because uh my memory seems to fade after 2011 and when you go back on cfb reference every single ohio state defensive back isn't marked as a cornerback or safety they're marked as a db and it's all blurry to me so i don't know if that's uh a knock on me or what uh but i know for a fact our lists are different this year and uh, let's get us started here, Jordan. Top five corner or sorry, top five safety so, yeah, since my, 2005. Uh, number five is Kurt Coleman. Um, and I'll be completely honest. My brain is fuzzy on him. I remember his name and I remember that he was good. And when I did my research, he's on the list of um, a lot of people do like all decade teams and this kind of stuff. One of the really cool articles that like I've been reading for each and every one of these positions is 10 best individual seasons per position. Like whether this player was all American or not, like who had one of the best individual seasons, whether it's a bunch of tackles, a bunch of interceptions, whatever. And Kurt Coleman's on that list. Um, he's a, he's an all American in 2009. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's a cop out. I don't have that much to say about him. I really don't remember. I, I feel unfortunate that like a, a lot of Ohio State safeties don't stick with me um, because we're just so electric in other places sometimes. But I do think, you know, with him being an All-American, um, having, you know, one of the best seasons for a safety, I thought even if I couldn't remember a bunch about him, I did think he should be on our list. Um, so Kurt Coleman's who I have at five. Yeah, I remember Kurt Coleman a lot. Uh, I remember my dad used to say, oh, he's undersized. He's a little bit on the smaller side. He should play safety like Kurt Coleman. And I remember him just being an absolutely vicious hitter. He was one of like – he was part of that last era of college football where he could just be an absolutely vicious hitter. And he, he surprisingly, he was one of those guys who came up with a lot of big plays, interceptions and all that. And when you read that stat that he's had one of the 10 best seasons uh, since however long, I was not surprised because I just remember, I can't remember which year. I know he was there when Terrell Pryor was there and he was just absolutely a monster. Let me just double check that real quick. Uh, because, uh, God, like you said, like these guys kind of blur together because they're yeah. all so similar. We were, I mean, just just to be honest, we were talking and like we couldn't remember the running mates for some of the players that's on our list. It's like we know that like, this guy was really good, but like who yeah. was the other safety? And then we googled and we were like, oh, now we feel stupid because like he's really good, but it's just yeah, like it makes sense. I don't know. Sometimes safety just kind of blurs, but also. If we're being honest, anyone who's played football or really pays attention, you don't want to know your safety's name <laughs> because most times you know thing. your safety's because they're not good. Like if, if your safety's name is yeah. being called, it's because they got stiff armed in the middle of the field, uh, took a bad angle and got, you know, out race for 50 yards. Like you don't want to know your safety's name. So maybe maybe it's a compliment. Yeah. And. He, he was good. He was just a good football player. Uh, my number five, uh, so me and Jordan wouldn't have the same list. I put my list in second, so that meant I had to make my changes this week, uh, is a guy who 
was a cornerback, but he was also the nickel cornerback or cover safety, as a lot of people are utilizing him now these days. And his name's Sean Wick. You guys know who he is. And the reason he's on my list and not the corners list was because I was disappointed in his uh, corner performance last year, as we all were. There was some outside reasoning for that. But overall, I think when he was the nickel to cover safety, which kind of was like the hybrid strong safety corner type deal that was his best season and i think his impact on that team and his impact on that individual season was so like so important that i couldn't keep him off this list when i saw that i was a little surprised and then i remembered that i had quarterbacks on my running back list and i was like nope makes sense but it is true too because he did play that that you know that corner safety role. It's that new um, and I remember role we there have. were times when every like we would watch and it's like, is Sean Wade the deep safety on this play because of motion or whatever? So I think that's fair. And I mean, he was amazing at it. Like he would have. We all know if he yeah. wouldn't have come back, he would have been a first round pick off of playing that position. And I still think if he plays something similar in the NFL, he could be a steal. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I don't think I want to give up on him as an outside corner. I think versatility is always the key in the NFL, like we talked about with offensive linemen. But it's something where he could play like a true safety position. He could play that slot corner, that cover guy. He could move outside if you need him to. And that's kind of where I, I see him moving, just kind of being the Swiss Army knife, uh, that fifth DB, as a lot would say. Who just kind of comes in and plays whatever position and needs yeah, to have at that time? Yeah, I think we say this enough. He transitioned a position in the pandemic when there wasn't practice, there wasn't really camp, the off season was weird, and that kind of stuff. I don't think we give him that grace sometimes. And the one thing that I always say when I want to compliment him is that he was always there. He almost never got beat, and yeah. that's 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 one of the more important things. Is like. You don't want your corner 15 yards away from the receiver. He was always there. So I think his problem could be fixable. He needs to get in the weight room because NFL – yeah, and NFL wide receivers are going to be stronger than the ones he faced in college. He needs to get in the weight room. He needs to get stronger. And then he just needs to learn how to play the ball. He needs to get to the catch point. And I think if he does those two things, he'll be fine because he was always there. He just got bullied like every single time they threw yeah. the ball. So – that's, he just needs to fix that, and I think that's I think that can be fixed. So it's fixed. Uh, my All my right, number four is number Von four? Bell. Um, I think Von Bell gets. Uh, I think he gets forgotten sometimes. Um, but Von Bell was the running mate for Malik Hooker at least one year, but I think it was two years. Um, he's an All American in, in fifteen, and like Von Bell was amazing. You know, like, you know, he didn't have all the highlights. I like Malik Hooker, the one-handed interception. Although he did have those, um, like we talked about before. Uh, we're pretty sure he was he had the one in the, the the championship game or one of the playoffs or something. Like, he, he was good, but Von, like, Von Bell was a tackler, and that is what you needed, right? Like, he, he did yeah. not get broken off in the open field. Like, if it was one-on-one, you knew that he was going to get it. And honestly, I think that's the perfect pairing, right? Like when you create your ideal safeties, especially when you do it more traditional, you want 
your Malik Hooker. You want that rangy safety who's going to go to the back, who's not going to let anyone pass him, who's going to make the spectacular interceptions. And then you want that other safety who's going to clean everything up. And yeah, the box safety who's just reliable in the, in yeah. the robber area in the second half on the weak side half. And that's exactly what you want. And that's what he did. And he's on my yeah, list as well. Fun, but I like, you can't talk about safeties after 2005 and not put him in there. And I mean, whatever he was overshadowed by Malik Hooker. That's fine. Malik Hooker was a special talent, but so was Von Bell. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, I'm going to talk about him a little more when I announce him on my list. So you guys spoiled once again, we have the same player, but I, I think you just nailed it. He's just such a consistent player. Uh, you never worried when Von Bell was in the game, and that's the number one thing you want to say about every single safety you have. For me, my guy was very similar to Von Bell. My number four was Travis Howard. Uh, if you guys remember him from 2009 to 2012, he was a guy who played in, uh, man, I want to say 42, 43 games. He was always playing. Uh, he showed up. He was never the most specially gifted guy. He wasn't anything like Willie Cooker in that way. But when I remember the 2012 team, he, he was one of those guys who kind of stood out to me on it with just his consistent level of play. And I think that's kind of something we're hitting cons- like consistently when we're talking about safeties is consistency. Like I think that's the number one key that separated some of these guys who had flashed and shown great things is that consistency level is how we're ranking them a little bit higher than each other. Uh, and I think Travis Howard was the epitome of what you want from a college football safety. Uh, good tackler, good in coverage, not getting beat deep, made interceptions when he had the opportunity, made a lot of tackles, could play in the box, can play the free safety position. And that's why he's on my list at number four, just the consistency, what he meant to those defenses when he was there, and just the longevity he did it with. Yeah, I, I think that's a great pick. Um, I kind of – like 2009, that area is where I'm really, really fuzzy. So I didn't remember him at first, like just off of the name. But like as you were talking about it, I was trying to remember some of those teams. Um, and so I, I like it. But I also like it because it's like, you know, I think the point of doing this sometimes, at least for me, what I wanted to do is to talk about the unheralded players a little bit, too. Um, and so I think sometimes we get stuck on like the really, really big names and forget that there are other players who were like really, really good. They just weren't, you know, six, seven, three hundred pounds or whatever it is. And so um, I think he's a great addition to the list. And I think that kind of fits the next guy, if I can transition to it. Um, Jordan Fuller. I I literally, as I was about to say, I was like trying to decide if I wanted to have him at three or two. I just decided to leave him at three because that's where I have him. But I don't think that Jordan Fuller gets enough respect. And I don't know if he's ever going to get enough respect. But all I want to say is when you think about Ohio State's defense, think about 2019, think about 2020, and what was the difference? (laughs) The biggest difference is Jordan, Jordan Fuller wasn't there. He was a true safety. He was a true safety, and one thing about safety that we kind of forget sometimes is safety is a position where you don't have to be the absolute best athlete. It's honestly sometimes being the best athlete at safety hurts you because you trust yourself a little bit too much and you get like stuck, right? 
And I think sometimes we yeah. forget like the different types of safeties because like, you know, if you watch the Hall of Fame, Troy Palomalo just got indicted, um, inducted, not indicted. That's a totally different word, <laughs> got inducted. And I think sometimes we expect all of our safeties to be like him where they can run a 4-2 and they make amazing, they jump over the line of scrimmage for sacks and they make all these crazy interceptions. Like Pick I was watching everything. his highlight play and it's like everything was a highlight, diving interceptions all this other kind of stuff and that's great obviously it got him a gold jacket um obviously remember malik hooker this is like a, i don't know how i went from palomalo to malik hooker clear not the same player but jordan fuller is that more traditional safety and the fact that he's the, like you said it when you started he's a quarterback of the defense he's always in the right position which is more important than running a 4-3 if you run a 4-3 and you're in the wrong position you're not helping anyone I can't remember the last time except I except I think in the um the Clemson game he was out of position when um the only bad angle I ever remember him taking in his career was the bad angle he took on Trevor Lawrence's touchdown run. It's a whole yeah, defense. And that, like, that terrible just, angles on that, so we yeah, can't even that, just single I, it I don't out. even know if that was a bad angle. I just think that was a bad play. Like They just were not prepared for that. But he was everything that you wanted, no. and his impact was felt. I And I'll say it. I'll be the one. I think his impact was felt. His loss was felt more than Chase Young's loss. And Chase Young is the much better player, right? And we lost the pass rush, so I'm not, I'm not yeah. trying to say it wasn't. But we did get some production at pass rush. We had, like, no safety production. Uh, so Jordan Fuller's on my list. I, I'm honestly – I'm convincing myself that I should have put him higher, but I'm a big Jordan Fuller fan, and all he did was go be a starter yeah. in the NFL his rookie year. So I think we're on to something. Yeah, and I, I think you've seen where I have on my on my list, so I'm once again going to save it for a little bit later. Uh, but – I, I just think he he just was the epitome of everything you want from a DB at Ohio State. So that is the highest regard I'm going to give him right now. My number three is Von Bell. Uh, you already talked about Von Bell. He's an All-American. He's an ultra-talented safety. And one thing I always remembered about Von Bell was you never really heard his name unless he needed to save the day. And I think when you're a safety, your ability to save the day is what takes you from being a really good safety to a great safety. And that's where Von Bell was special to me. There's moments in games where he'd either punch out a football or he'd intercept a pass where he'd just be like, holy crap, we really needed that play to turn the tides of this game. And that's where Von Bell was special. Uh, he did everything right. He did. He played both the free and strong safety positions at times. And with Bully Cooker as his running mate, like – he was the perfect yang to Malik Hooker's yang. And that's exactly what I'm going to say because we already talked about him enough. He's my number yeah, three. Yeah, I mean, you said it better than I did, but we're both Von Bell fans. And I'm, I, this this is this has me reminiscing. I missed the Von Bell and Malik Hooker pairing. It was perfect. It was perfect. There was no holes with that. It was unbelievable. Um, so, yeah, like I said, perfect yin and yang. I know we don't play the traditional strong and free anymore, and a lot of people don't with how we're doing our defense, and everything's hybrid and whatever, but that was he was the perfect yeah. strong safety. But like you said, he was versatile because he also could play free, and you didn't have to worry about the structure of the defense being messed up because if he had to go back there, he could do it. He did his job. 
Yeah. And then our number two is exactly the same. So I'll give you the honor because we both love this man more than our lives from our defense. And we all wish we could have a reincarnation. Clearly, we of thought him. it was going to be his brother, but. Anyways, well, I didn't no, think so. I, let's be honest. I didn't. Even, I didn't even know he had a brother. Um, we hoped it was going to be his brother, but we didn't think that was going to happen. Um, yeah, we saw, the we, saw the, we saw the name and hoped. Our number two is Malik Hooker. There's nothing that you could say about Malik Hooker that hasn't been said. I mean, he was just spectacular. Um, I don't know his numbers. I don't know if he ran a four two or, but it felt. Yeah, but it felt like he numbers. ran a four two because he was everywhere. Um, He's in the record books for interceptions in a career. I think he's tied for third or something. He has seven interceptions in his career. Um, And I just mean, like, if you needed something, like, you couldn't throw on him. And, like, like we talked about strong safety, right, where, like, like, one of the biggest compliments is that you don't say their name and they always assure tackler and all that other kind of stuff. But for a free safety – the biggest compliment is that you can't throw on them. Like it doesn't matter where you're at on the field. Yeah. If that pass is going more than twenty yards in the air, he's there. And he was. See so, yeah. Yeah. The amazing part about Molly Cooker was this his ability to actually play middle safety, but still cover sideline to sideline. And being a former free safety myself, like Everyone's like, hey, don't cheat away because that's going to open it up to the quarterback. Well, I'm like, these high school quarterbacks can't throw for shit, so I'm going to have time to get over there uh, if I cheat. Bully Cooker did not have to cheat to either hash to cover the middle of the field and shade to the stronger side. No, he could start from the numbers on the other side and make a play on a deep fade all the way across the field. And we all remember it. He had that outstanding one-handed interception in like his second career game. Like, he was like insane, miraculous. And like I said with Von Bell, whenever there was a big moment where he needed to play, guess who was there? Molly Cooker. Whenever you needed a tackle that saved a touchdown run, guess who was there? Molly Cooker. Whenever someone threw a deep fade and the guy was wide open because the corner got beat, guess who was there with his Superman cape on? It was Molly Cooker. Every single and, time. And I like he just like because he was a he wasn't like a late bloomer because there were some really good safeties in front of him. So when he got his opportunity, he absolutely showed out. And like keeping him on the sideline, it sounded like it ended up seeming like malpractice. You're like, how did this guy not get on the field? And that's the thing. It's like he he could have broken every. I mean, there's no technical safety record, but he could have broken so many records if he would have played early. And that's just some that's the kind of thing that happens with Ohio State sometimes. It's just like, man, how did we get these players? Like that happened at corner. We'd have a corner come in, he'd have one good year and then be a first round pick and win like defensive player in the year. It was like, man, it would be nice to have him for three years. But it's like we did have him for three years. He just had a different name and a different jersey number. Um <laughs> but no, Malik yeah. Tucker is amazing. I personally sad because Malik Lee Cooker got drafted to my Colts and I was so geeked and then he dealt with injuries and now he's not on the Colts anymore um, it's whatever that happens sometimes in the NFL but at, at college at college man one. he was everything that you wanted and I don't I just don't know I think I don't know that we see another one of him for a very long time not for That's a while not easily replaced because it, it 
So, like, the interesting thing about him was he was, like, one of those guys who was, like, a three-star yeah. recruit also. Like, he was not a highly heralded recruit, but that was because he was a legitimate, like, basketball recruit. Like, he was that good of an athlete that he was a legitimate recruit of both sports, which lowered his star rating. But Urban Meyer offered him a scholarship not after watching him play football at a basketball game. In the like, so that's how elite he was as a basketball player because you saw his athleticism, and that is like wild. That was one of those wild stories. It's like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Sam Hubbard, he was recruited as a safety, yeah. he was a lacrosse player and a safety, and they recruited him to play like, DN. Never like, played that DN talent before. evaluation and that eye, <laughs> and like those types of things are what makes like. That's what makes Malik Cooker's story even better to me is we were talking about Dewan Jones. Like it's a similar story, like a physical freak who just finally found the fundamentals and techniques to absolutely and honestly, thrive. Honestly, and that's my favorite thing. That's yeah, my favorite thing about Ohio it. State is like I think we stay true to our roots, especially with Ohio kids. You know, we always have like you know, I think sometimes like Maybe it's unfortunate. Maybe that's the difference between us and Alabama is Alabama almost never takes a three star. But I love that we have those three stars who just come up and end end up being fan favorites. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott wasn't a high recruit because nobody went to St. Louis. And now after him, there's always there's a million. There's not a million, but there's always people in St. Louis. There's always high recruits in Missouri and St. Louis because nobody was looking for recruits in St. Louis. I think. I think Ezekiel Elliott was maybe a four star, but it was a low four star. He was nowhere. Yeah, he put yeah, that so on the map. I, I think that's one of my favorite things about Ohio State is that we like we do take those chances on those players. And maybe it's not a chance. Maybe the recruiting services just suck and the coaches know. And for everyone who thinks we hate Urban Meyer, let's give him that compliment. We've mentioned Malik Cooker. You talked about Sam Hubbard. That man evaluated talent. He did. Yeah, better than anybody. That's how he, he built his program. And he didn't care about the recruiting services. Yeah, he got his five stars, and, the, and those were the easy ones. But he always found that 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 gem that no one else could find. And Malik Cooker was, was like, one of them. So who's so who's your number one? My number one might get me yelled at. This is this is another one of those things that when you look at Pro Football Focus and all the other things, I actually Ohio State roster does the same thing. If you go back too far, it just says DB. It doesn't place them at safeties. My number one is Malcolm Jenkins. Yeah, I know he was my number one for corner, and maybe he didn't play as much safety as I think he did at Ohio State. And maybe I'm just getting it mixed up because he plays safety in the NFL now. I don't know, but I think Malcolm Jenkins is just. Overall, the best DB we've had at Ohio State since 2005. And so even if he didn't play safety at Ohio State and that transition didn't happen until he went to the NFL, I don't care. He's still my number one safety because he would have been the number one safety. He won the Jim Thorpe Award, two-time All-American, three-time First Ten, All-Big Ten. If you want to know how I really feel, go back to cornerbacks. If he didn't play safety, yell at me in my mentions. I don't care. It's Malcolm Jenkins. Yeah, give us a five-star review because we're giving a former player credit for a position (laughs) he didn't even play. You know what? Malcolm Jenkins, DB number one. That's how we're wrapping up safety besides – that's how we're wrapping up your DB list, okay? So of our top ten DBs, Malcolm Jenkins is number one and two. Stamp it. And then I, 
I have a number one. Mine's Jordan Fuller. So uh, you had him at number three. I think I just really – I can't say enough about him as a football player. He was a multi-year starter. He just had so much experience playing, never in the wrong place, always making the right play, interceptions, touchdowns. He scored them. Uh, he, he did everything you needed from a safety. I think he set the standard for the modern free safety position at Ohio State. And I think moving forward, uh, he is the archetype that you want when you recruit safeties, when you have your safeties play, and go from there. Unless you can find a Malik Cooker. But I think Jordan Fuller is the – the longevity and consistency is what took him over. Yeah, no, I agree. And I know I've already said my piece about Jordan, Jordan Fuller. But the other thing that I would say, and one thing that I really appreciate about him, and sometimes just safety in general, never, never was in the spotlight, never cared. And... And that's I mean ball. that's what you want. Like, yeah, you want your Malik Hookers, and I want another Malik Hooker, don't get me wrong. But if you can't have Malik Hooker, I'm taking Jordan Fuller every day of the week. And honestly, I might I might take Jordan Fuller over the Malik Hooker because if that like he's just not gonna make a mistake. He's not I don't I can't name a mistake that he's ever made. I can't remember a play where I'm looking at him like, Wow, where were you supposed to be? Or why didn't you do that? Why didn't you make that tackle? Um I have no nope. issue with him being number one. He was always covering for other people. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that'll wrap up the list. And then next week we have our last one in quarterbacks. Yes. Correct. The the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl of top fives. Quarterback's uh, going to be positions. so fun. So get excited for that. I mean, this is going to be – this is probably where we're going to debate the most, I think, I'm the quarterback position. I'm on my list. And then <laughs> – I'm going to put Joe Bowerman on mine. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I just want to get this on the best for last before we wrap up the show. Ohio State got ranked fourth in the coaches' poll. How do you feel about preseason polls? Quick hit right here. I think they're pointless. I think they're meaningless. I really do not care where Ohio State's ranked before a season even starts. I don't think you should rank teams still after at least the this first answer. This say. Except for this year, Michigan is always ranked in the top 10 in preseason polls. That's exactly <laughs> all you need to know. That's all you need to know. Michigan is always ranked in the top 10. And like for like the last three years, people have picked Michigan to win the Big Ten. Nothing else needs to be said. And <laughs> it's they said Nebraska was going to win the Big Ten last year. Nothing needs to be said about coaches' polls, pre-media polls, anything that happens before the season. It's all speculation. And that's... It's pretty much just looking at recruiting rankings and returning production and being like, all right, this team has a bunch of good recruits and a bunch of returning production. Honestly, it's not even that. Because... If that's the case, Michigan Sometimes and Nebraska wouldn't be so high. Sometimes it's just the name. They're like, oh, I like Scott Frost. They're going to win the Big Ten. Jim Harbaugh has to get it done eventually. They're going to win the Big Ten. Uh, for some reason, we like Clemson yeah. more than – like there's if we're, if we're, like we, there's no point in actually talking about it because they're garbage. But can someone point out to me how Clemson is ranked higher when they're also losing a quarterback and they lost everyone that's ever mattered to them? Like the only good position, yeah. like the only really good position group that Clemson has for sure is their defensive line. They may have 
Yeah, they and may have one of the best so, defensive line, but their linebackers mean. aren't good. Their safeties aren't good. Their wide receivers might be good as long as Justin Ross stays healthy. But they lost their they lost one of the best running backs they've ever had. They lost the best quarterback they've ever had. Like I can't even name anyone on Clemson's roster outside of DJ Brian Breesy, who's a defensive lineman, and yeah, Justin Brian Ross. Brisey. Like, but somehow they're over Ohio State. So it's whatever. Trash. Yeah, it's all it's all politics. It's all like history, and uh, you know we're never going to get the benefit of the doubt. So, yeah, that's how we're going to wrap it up. Everybody, uh, Jordan, where can the audience find you, and where can they find you on Land Grant Holy Land? Uh, they can find well? me on Twitter at Jordan W three three zero, and you can catch me every Monday on the I-70 football show. If you haven't if you haven't checked in yet, please check in. Me and Dante are doing full previews, and then we're going to be here every week, and then we're going to be here every week doing previews, doing recaps, just talking football. It's only going to be football, um, nothing else, so it's, it's, it's going to be fun. And we're going to have Chris on the show, too, so if somehow you're not tired of hearing us talk because we do multiple podcasts together, you'll, you'll, you'll get some Chris on there, too. Yeah, you're gonna hear all of us grouping up and talking more places than not, especially once season comes because we got yeah. the instant recap too. <laughs> yeah, so you're gonna hear me and Jordan a lot in the feed, and I'm excited for that. Uh, for you guys to find me, it's at Chris Rennie CFB. I've got a lot of stuff in the works right now. I'm getting my YouTube unveiled soon, uh, building up some video content so I don't just have to. You know, get everything at once. It's my name, Christopher Rennie. So go check it out. And then, yeah, follow the show at Bug Off Pod. Uh, we're working on just making sure you guys have the best content come football season. We're going to be talking to you before every single game. So get excited. And we're going to be talking to you after every single game on the instant recap. And make sure you're following and reading all the articles that the great land grant holy land team is writing as always thanks you guys for coming uh this is it for us today adios